Hello, I'm Ryan Cook, and this is Civic Tech Chat, a show that looks at the way technology, politics, and policy impacts the world around us, the tools we use, the way services are delivered, and how we talk about and set policy all shape our society. We'll gather around and have a chat about these things together and more. Either that, or maybe I'll rant about a topic for a while. Before we get started, I do want to let you all know that we've started a Discord for the podcast. There will be a link with an invite down in the episode description. Do feel free to go check that out. It's a small community right now, but hoping to grow it. It's a great way to reach out to me and let me know things that you might want us to cover, or to just hang out and talk about civic tech. Anyway, let's go ahead and start the show. I'm so pleased to be with everyone here at Brigade Congress. My name is Ryan Cook, and I am the host of a podcast called Civic Tech Chat, which seeks to cover those places where technology, policy, civic life all kind of come together, which is what brings us here today. We have an excellent panel of guests here. They're going to talk to us a bit about things like why they volunteer, the sort of motivations they have, the types of volunteers that they have seen as organizers or volunteers themselves, as well as some of the realities of volunteering. So I'm really excited to hear what they have to say. But first, why don't we do a little round of introductions? So could each of you introduce yourselves and tell us a bit about what you do? And then uh, Mari, I think you are up first for that. Yes, I am. Hi, I'm Mari. I use she, her pronouns, and I'm a user researcher and organizer. So I found myself in the CFA network starting last fall, a few months after I graduated from college. And I've popcorned around the network first as the research lead for the Brigade Organizers Playbook Extension Project, then volunteered with Get Your Refund. And then I ended up joining the revisioning, um, the revisioning effort and the peer-to-peer initiatives, where I've been building out infrastructures for the network team to support engagements. And then Nehemiah, I believe you are up next. Hello, my name is Nehemiah. I'm from St. Louis, actually, but I've moved to, oh, he, him pronouns, by the way. I'm from St. Louis, Missouri. I moved to St. Paul, Minnesota very recently, as of 2020. What a time to move, right? And I uh, started working for the city of, uh, city of St. Paul. But in my time in St. Louis, I had joined um, uh, an earlier brigade, uh, OpenSTL, um, back in 20, like 14, I think, and have been with the brigade network ever since, I think. Yeah. So happy to join you all. All right. And I believe I am up next. So I am Matt Zagaya, uh, he, him. I, uh, hail from Boston where I've been volunteering with Code for Boston since 2015. Uh, started out volunteering on a brigade project, uh, and then worked my way, uh, to being a project lead. And then eventually was asked to help, uh, join the organizing team at Code for Boston. So despite being a software developer in my day job, uh, I go Code for for Boston, I do pretty much everything but code, uh, which is kind of funny. But uh, overall, I've uh, been uh, quite involved and, uh, you know, continue to uh, work on the organizing team. Uh, and that's, you know, I think most of my background. Uh, during the day, I'm a software engineer, so I do software development, although I was actually professionally trained as a lawyer. So some folks in tech have imposter syndrome. I'm an actual imposter, so that's a lot of fun as well. Uh, so yeah, that's a little about me. I will toss it off uh, to, I think, uh, Jilzy. Hey, yep, me next. Okay, so hey, I'm Jilzy. Um, I use she, her pronouns. Um, I am a co-founder and captain of Open Charlotte Brigade, um, which means I kind of wear all the hats that aren't coding. Um, because I am not a coder. Um, I married a coder and I spawned one. So like that's as much as the coding skills I have. Um, other than that, I'm one of the original NAC members. Um, I'm the f- former NAC chair and also a former uh, CFA community fellow. And I'm happy to see everyone. So one of my favorite kinds of questions to ask is uh, the question about like personal why. 
I, I like to kind of dig at that motivational level with folks. So for each of you, what is your personal why? The thing that drives you to get out of bed each morning and do what you do. And uh, uh, Jill, maybe do you want to start us off with this one? Sure. Um, so the why I get out of bed, um, because it's not socially acceptable to have a fridge in my room, probably. Um, outside of that, um, as far as like why I do this kind of stuff, um, it seems like government touches so much of our lives that even like, I don't know, we don't think about and it has such great potential and it's just not reaching it. So it seems like a good place for to advocate for equality and equity, especially. Um, so yeah, that's pretty much why. And Nehemiah, do you want to go next? Sure. I, you know, I, I've, I've suffered at the hands of this world being, I, I, well, starting out as a nerd, and then it's just everything else. Um, this world is weird, and we can definitely make it better. So I thought I'd take a bit of that power into my own hands and make it a better place. And I started out in brigades, and then I'll just and now I'm sort of making government more functional. It seems it is the one of the more uh, powerful forces in our lives, making it you know, equitable and, and less painful. Matt, would, would you like to go next? Yeah. Uh, so, you know, I've been involved in been volunteering on all sorts of different things uh, since I was in high school. I was involved in politics and I got involved in politics in my community because I think it's really important to just give back and leave the world a little bit better than it was, uh, you know, before you were there. And so uh, looking for different ways to give back, uh, the strong thing about the brigade program is, is very much an opportunity to give back in a way that utilizes my skills and lets me do something that I enjoy. And so to sort of find this intersection where I'm doing something useful and valuable, but also um, being able to do it in a way where um, I am able to utilize my skills and have a lot of fun and also make a lot of friends along the way. Uh, that's really what excites me and keeps me involved in the brigade program. And Mari, how about you? Well, so for me, I'm kind of passionate about making sure that people feel supported in a space. I grew up having to navigate the college process by myself, so I struggled a lot there. So I found myself taking up organizing efforts for different types of tech clubs at school um, with community and campus organizing. And I found that I really enjoyed helping operate and grow these spaces um, because trying to navigate and explore interests alone is scary and it's not fun at all. Um, and also a general personal why is making myself proud that I'm able to overcome challenges despite all of these hardships. And for me, it's particularly hard to get out of that mindset of being so focused on past decisions and regrets in life. So just being able to prove myself, my past self wrong, makes me super excited and stoked for what I could accomplish in the future. So having heard a bit about all of you, uh, one thing that's clear is uh, even beyond volunteering, y'all have a, a lot of different things uh, going on in your lives, a lot of coming at things with like a lot of different skills. And that kind of, since you end up spending then probably a significant amount of your time then on volunteering and trying to balance it with the rest of life. You know, you could, for example, instead of deciding to go help code something for a brigade or help do some organizing, you could, you know, pop on the couch and watch some Netflix, maybe have, you know, beer in hand. So that begs the question, why do you instead decide to use this time to do volunteering? And I'll sort of leave that question. I'll let it kind of linger over the group and see who wants to hop in first. Uh, so I think that uh, it is, I think, a function, first off, of wanting to be involved in the community. And so as fun as, um, you know, sitting down and watching uh, Star Wars on Disney Pluses uh, or playing some Nintendo, uh, which I also enjoy, uh, you really need balance 
And I've also established, you know, a little bit of a social rhythm uh, here in Boston. So I'm not originally from Boston. And the reality is that uh, I met a lot of friends through Code for Boston. And so I think that it's just exciting to sort of have that regular thing where you're interacting with a bunch of people who you really enjoy working with and you're collectively working together to make some kind of difference. So it's not, um, it, it's you sort of get these different things out of it uh, compared to the other stuff uh, that you do. And I think that um, that sense of community and being a part of Boston and really being, um, you know, I think anyone who gives back to their community is very much a citizen of that community and um, love that feeling and um, being involved. I'll second most of that. Like, yeah, uh, it makes me feel connected to the people around me. I mean, uh, I I have friends I've known since high school, and like none of them are quite as into technology. Video games, yeah, but not technology. And like, I, I like like tinkering with things, and so I made friends with other people who like tinkering with things like, um, and then like even more friends groups, you know, Linux, uh, user groups, uh, gaming groups. And so I've joined communities and this is just one of them. And it's a lot of fun being a part of it. And I'll third all of that. Uh, definitely that social contact with people that, align with your interest is something that is super important, especially during these times. And um, so I don't ride that this, like that reasoning train. Uh, my reason to start volunteering was actually to explore how I can blend my interests and truthfully recover. So by the end of last year, I made con commitments to take a pause from an exhausting sorry, exhausting job app grind, constant rejections, because I didn't have enough experience and feeling so detached from positions I'd apply for, because at that point, I was applying for anything. Okay. <laughs> sorry about that. Um, Okay, but so everything did not bring me joy. Um, so I needed to get joy through volunteering. <laughs> I feel like by forcing that, we're basically just saying the same things over again. But um, I think that's part of the reason why we're all we've all found each other is that we were looking for that same sense of community. Um, what feels like a million years ago, which is probably only like twelve years ago when I first moved to Charlotte, like. The only person I knew was my husband, which is not a recipe for success. Um, and so I really needed a community. And it turns out I bond better with people who are working and doing things and building stuff than I do sitting at a bar, um, shooting the shit. Um, the whole time I'm reading this, like these questions, I'm like, yeah, great existential questions here. Like, let's do some small talk. But the truth is, like, I'm not really very great at small talk either. <laughs> So, um, being at the, having the opportunity to like build a community, um, around people, um, when, so my, as I mentioned, my husband's a software developer, he would want to go to like techie things. And while I don't know anything, I at least at the time didn't know a lot about that. I don't particularly love being left at home and it turns out they're not great at organizing things. And so like my skills did become very valuable. So it's nice to like use your skills to be in a valuable way and it's kind of more from there so i'm gonna i'm gonna throw a curveball in here this is a, a question that wasn't written down a little, little follow-up so I, I heard a theme of belonging in there and and really all of your answers this idea that you were trying to find some sort of mix of community and purpose that came together is that is that something that y'all were like oh i'm gonna go search for this is this something you intentionally knew you needed and was this the sort of community you intentionally looked for or is this more happenstance and it just got lucky and it sort of worked out what i was searching for was a way to become a better developer and the idea was i 
joined hackathons and game jams because I wanted to be a game developer in general. And then like more specifically, I learned, you know, about myself through uh in in college, I learned about myself that I have trouble finishing things. And so I thought, okay, the heated sort of <clears throat> the pressure sort of um of putting yourself through a hackathon. Cause I, I think it was from the, the intercollegiate programming contest, like that whole 24 hour period. 24 hours uh, period of just being locked in a room in this case, in that case with no internet and just the three of you. But like in the case of a, a hackathon, just like you have to finish this um, and just, you're going to get to know people and you're going to, uh, you've got a deadline, cut out all the stops. Let's go. And then that feeling was like better than homework. It was like being on a test and, I liked it. And I thought, I'm going to seek that out. And then I found the rest. I'd say for me, I was looking for a community. But did I specifically at the beginning know that a bunch of tech government nerds was my community or my people? No, not really. Like That was as surprising to me as it probably was to you all when I stuck around. So, yeah. Oh, sorry. My uh, unmute was giving me an issue. But... Uh... I can I just share that uh, I'd been, uh, you know, interested in the idea since my college days of majoring in society, tech and policy, uh, this idea of the intersection of government and technology. And I was looking for other people that did this. And when I graduated college in 2009, like civic tech was not a thing. Like I was I was early. I was so early, there were like not any sort of what you consider like jobs in the space or not many and folks didn't, you know, give a voice and community to it. And as I was, you know, sort of academically focusing on it, that is when this all came to fruition. And so I think when I saw, uh, I think it was Jen Polka's TED Talk about um, the whole uh, Code for America movement idea, I'm like, oh my God, these are my people and I have to find them wherever they may be. And so I did find uh, some folks in Connecticut when I was there first uh, that were doing civic hack nights at C-Click Fix. And then I knew when I was coming to Boston uh, that I wanted to find it as well. And boy, the folks in Boston were doing some amazing things. So I, I was glad that they were um, willing to accept me <laughs> as sort of a new person as I came in. Yeah, and as for me, I was definitely looking for a community, like a space for me to just exist in. Um, but like, it felt like that search was like with a blindfold on because I wasn't really, I really didn't know like what I was trying to find. Um, I have interest in UX, but I'm also interested in a lot of ethical tech. I studied. Um, ethics, public policy, science, and technology, just a mishmash of stuff. So like months after being exhausted of trying to find a job post-graduation in spring 2020, um, I was like, well, like I heard of Code for America. Like I heard of it during my trying to figure out like if software engineering was right for me and seeing like, oh, Code for America, but I switched my major sometime there. But it, it, like, I just, yeah, I actively tried to find a space, but I didn't know what I was heading into. <laughs> I appreciate all you all sharing that. I'd like to go ahead and pivot us to a bit of a conversation about something called volunteer personas. Uh, there is a document that I'm now going to attempt to paste into the Zoom chat that Code for Boston help put together that seeks to describe another a number of these personas. Matt, would you mind starting off this the conversation about this by giving us kind of like a high level of what that document seeks to do? Absolutely. Uh, so the volunteer personas document uh, came out of a conversation that we were having on two fronts. I think it was trying to better understand our community 
and create a framework around it and also to better structure our content on the Code for Boston website to serve those folks. Uh, so it was very much, I mean, the website is married to the activities that we do as an organization, but we can't do the right things unless we understand why folks are coming to Code for Boston. And we also need to understand um, how we can, you know, meet their needs, but also help um, sort of steer them in a way that they can productively give back into the organization and, um, you know, we can all be respectful of each other's time. So uh, we start digging into, I think, all from a lot of what we knew and we started to figure out, okay, these are the type of people that are involved in the organization. And so we want to uh, give a sort of voice and idea to that. And it's not just volunteers who are thinking about, although they make up a large component of the folks we think about, we also think about uh, partners and donors. And I can talk about um, those and folks and how they're involved later. So it's like this wider community, uh, central community, and we can talk about that um, you know, as we continue along. Something I, I gather from the document is that there is a lot of different types of folks that come into this tent to volunteer with a fair number of different motivations, different levels of experience, different motivations and reasons for being there. Uh, I imagine folks on this panel have a lot of experience kind of either as volunteers themselves or as organizers then interacting with these folks. How do these different motivations, places folks come from, in, uh, interact with how you seek to organize or, or collaborate as a volunteer? So one of the first things I always asked people when they would show up for um, Open Charlotte is why they were there, or what they wanted to get out of their time. Um, so that way I can try to like fit them into where, you know, what reaches that goal. Um, Cause it's, it's nice to, to think that we're all here for like truly altruistic reasons, but the truth is we're here to, to like do something. So if your goal is to like hone your skills or, to lead a team because you've never been given that opportunity at work. Like I want to give you that opportunity to do something like that. Um, and then the other thing that making sure I always check back in with them to see if that goal has shifted. Um, so that way in hopes of like extending their time with us, because if that goal shifts, but their opportunities never shift, then they'll fade away. Oh, so I really like this document. That was super cool. First time I've ever seen it. Yeah, so I was part of a project that actually makes an interesting case study of volunteer motivations. So on one hand, it was trying to figure out the mot the um, support needs of volunteer brigade leaders in the network. But also, I had to manage a group of research volunteers on trying to interview and help analyze these, like the data. And for the, like, one of the themes that we found was, yeah, so some brigades find it really difficult to retain volunteers because, like, they don't have projects that align with their volunteer skills, which leads to, you know, dropout um, because, and also not knowing volunteer motivations and also seeing, like, you know, believing that volunteers may not have you know, meaningful experiences within the brigade. Um, so, and then on, so that's on the side of like the brigade leads for the project, but I also had to manage that the volunteers who did <laughs> help with the research. And honestly, like for that, it was super difficult um, trying to have like people help with the project because the motivations really didn't um, their motivations really didn't align. They didn't really understand like <laughs> what the brigade network is. You're thrown in these interviews to interview brigade leads. And they're like, what is the knack? Like after the interview, it's like, what is the knack? Like, what are they talking about? Like, what's the network team? I'm like, okay, I, I truly understand. So there were times where I would all, like try to... Um, like, I understand that the project may not be like meaningful to them so at times I would support like after hours being like let me look at your resume let me look at your portfolio and help through there 
Yeah. Um, I, I also want to, um, I think, talk about this idea that we've sort of pivoted as we were um, thinking about our projects and how we run the organization and how we sort of changed and shifted from Code for Boston being like this sort of, oh, this is just happening and it's all sort of entropy and random and whoever shows up for meetup is just showing up and whatever happens kind of happens to building an intentional community and figuring out who we need in this community and what we are missing because every single project needs different kinds of folks in it. And so if you have, you know, only folks that just graduated coding boot camp, they don't have the mentorship that they need to be able to, you know, get something good out of this community. Uh, and then if you only have experienced folks, then maybe you're not getting uh, some of that fresher perspective. And also you can't have only software developers. We've been thinking about these projects as holistic projects. And even though ultimately our output is a software product, it is more than code. And the coders don't always want to do the non-code things. So helping to just emphasize again and again that everyone belongs here and you can have different kinds of folks and invite them into our community uh, has created a stronger and more diverse brigade for us. And I think that, you know, being doing that recruiting, sending out those asks, that makes a difference. And so that has been, I think, a concrete win from that discussion. I kind of... I do wish that I'd had a document like this when um when we were sort of uh pushing our brigade like a little bit further. We got it's just there were some years when there was a sort of dearth of volunteers. Um we it was a a time of a bit of turnover. Some of our leadership had left to go into other cities, to go into other things, and so a lot of the relationships that we had with our, with other communities, with the city itself or the county rather, um, had sort of severed. And so, what we had was a sort of a small enough group that we were able to just sort of keep it informal and hang out before we went into the sort of operationalizing of the volunteer effort. So. We and this is a morally out of necessity. Um, thankfully, we still had like there was still work to do, and it was still very evident that we, what projects were best suited for what we what people we did have. Right? Um, I mean, we had like two coders and like a couple of people who who just knew the St. Louis landscape and they knew what they wanted out of St. Louis. Um, I'm still, once again, speaking out of St. Louis because I, I joined Open Open Twin Cities last year. Meanwhile, Open Twin Cities has direct engagement from like the city of St. Paul and has engagement from um, uh, just more experienced volunteers, I think, even than us. Just they've been more consistently with their brigade. Maybe I'd let I'd like to let them speak to that because I wasn't there for their years of involvement with the brigade network. Related to this topic, I saw a, a really interesting question come in through the the handy webinar Q&A feature. And that's someone uh, is wondering, I, I say someone because it's it says anonymous attendee. Someone is wondering if any of y'all have found that there were volunteer motivations that were incompatible with the work the brigade was trying to do. And I guess if so, like, what was your experience with that like? I definitely had that situation. Um, so this was in between that we were sort of deciding, and a lot of brigades were, we were interviewing other, talking to other brigades about how they proceed with the sort of nebulous relationship with brigades, with, um, with Code for America Central. Like, you know, a lot of brigades were becoming 501c3s and all that stuff. And we, you know, one half, this one brigade member at halfway can convinced us to turn into a 501c4, I think was the one. 
And like, I didn't want the brigade to turn itself to turn into a for-profit venture, but I thought that we were too small and inexperienced to just sort of strike it out on our own with no one really knowing what we're doing. And little did I know someone was out there burning bridges. It was disaster. That would have been a disaster. And so I was, you know, luckily I did have like other volunteers that just that more shared that more agree with my vision for the brigade than his. And so we just, we didn't go with that that way. And I'm, I'm grateful. <laughs> Let's just say, I, I'm grateful for the other volunteer. He, and you know who this is actually, but he had a, a better nose for sort of a BS detector is what I'll call it. Right. And he had less patience for that. And I'm, I, I, I thoroughly appreciate that about him. So. Uh, I, I was going to let if anyone else wanted to go before me. Otherwise, I'm happy to share m- my thoughts. Uh, going once, going twice. Okay. Um, so on, uh, I think, our end, uh, you, I talked a little bit earlier about intentional community building. And a big part of our intentional community building is we have an orientation at the, every single uh, brigade meetup. And so every Tuesday, we are um, helping set the stage for the volunteers about who we are, what we do, and how we do it. And they are getting funneled into a project um, to volunteer. And so sometimes we'll get folks that show up and, um, you know, they might think, I want help with my PHP project, or I'm going to just like hire folks. And we have different, uh, you know, I think funnels for folks to do things like share job opportunities. So it gives us an opportunity to let folks know this is who we are and you're going to go here. And if they feel like their like motivations and what they thought code for Boston was or what they were going to get out of it is not compatible, then uh, they'll usually say, oh, okay, now that I know what this is, I'm going to go look for the thing that I was looking for. And so that, you know, I think gives us an opportunity to just not waste each other's time because um, it's not only like, oh, we don't want to have our time wasted, but if their needs aren't going to be met through a code for Boston experience, then they're usually pretty happy to head out as well. I'd echo a lot of what Matt just said. Like we do an orientation that explains like what we do, what we, who we are and what we do, um, how we do it, that kind of stuff. Um, when I have that conversation about motivation, if I find out that they, what they're looking for, isn't something that we can provide. Um, at least a cursory knowledge of other, like, especially tech meetups in town has been really helpful in the past. Cause I can tell them, look, this isn't like, I, we can't help you with this project or company that you're like wanting to build, but have you looked at these places and try to direct them to places that are actually going to be helpful for them? Um, which means that they're not pulling on our time or they're not wasting their time. They're getting exactly what they need. And that's always been helpful for the most part. So as a as a bit of a follow-on to this, so we, we've talked about the idea of that conflict coming up where motivations maybe don't fit with like brigade vision or, you know, things folks are trying to have happen in that community. But uh, ben, ben actually submitted a question here in the Q&A that uh, is interesting. And that's the idea that there's that tension of like, oh, I, I don't want to promote this uh, motivation that isn't compatible but also we're trying to create an environment where everybody belongs. You know, it's a big, big tent that anybody is welcome to join us in. So how have you all gone about that, that tension and communication, trying to communicate, Hey, you're welcome in this environment, but this specific motivation is what's not compatible. I guess I'm happy to kick this one off. Uh, And I I think one of the things that I love to think about is um, the idea that it's, you don't want to just shut folks down. And so 
if you go to Disney World and ask them what time the park closes, they will tell you the park is open until 9 p.m. And that is, I think, the mentality that I try to think about um, when I'm communicating with new folks and helping them understand, you know, this is what you can do here. And I want to try and help understand what they're interested in. And by helping understand their background and who they are, um, I can maybe give them uh, the avenues by which uh, they can be a part of the community and be involved and put them uh, in the right place. And so that's um, how I try and think about it. I'd say I don't treat it as attention, more like, I don't know, opportunistic. By having those conversations one-on-one with them, it gives me a chance to like, yeah, I can't help you build your company because that's not what we do. But, um, you know, if you want to volunteer in this project, we can help you establish the skills that you're going to turn around and use for your company. Or, you know what I mean? Like, if you're a coder and you've never done anything outside of that, here's the opportunity to like lead a team or do some research or build a relationship or organize an event or do you know what I mean? Like things that help round you out to make it so that way you can do, you know what I mean? Like you can go off on your own and have a better shot of like establishing those other motivations that you might have. Uh, that's pretty much what we did. Um, I mean, like I said, we stayed small for a while, but you know, once we got a good project that everyone got behind, it was it aligns with a lot of our skills and and then, you know, I wouldn't say people bounced off, but like people sort of were less interested in, in bringing their own thing and, and they they just wanted to join with the like the one or two main projects that we had. And that kept us kind of focused and gave everybody something to be interested in. And it was sort of like a lightning rod, um, channeling people. And then, yeah, the, you know, people, if they didn't think that that was, if they didn't want that, then, you know, they, we were in a co-working space. We maintained sort of a, a trans, a porous nature, but it, we didn't, we tried not to have people bounce off of us completely. Yeah. So, um, especially in kind of, yeah, the groups that I've organized, like, like all of what Jill, Nehemiah and Matt said are pretty, um, key. And especially the whole thing about setting expectations, what we can offer and provide, what you can offer and provide, and also setting that space that, like, you are free to, like, um, you know, make your own decision if you need to leave, like, you're not bound to the space. Um, And that's kind of what is optimal for a lot of people. All right, if the, uh, the, the, panelists are are satisfied with that i might go ahead and bump us along to the next section unless someone you know gestures at me wildly like no i still had words ryan and i I don't see that happening so i'm gonna go ahead and move us along to uh talking about the constraints in volunteering and i suppose what i really mean by that it's the like very personal constraints and the first thing i want to ask about there is sort of how it relates to how volunteering fits into the rest of life. You know, as mentioned, you know, a lot of us have jobs we're working, we have families, and there, there are things that come with that. Maybe there are other obligations in life, and we're still trying to, like, find this bit of time to do this volunteering activity that helps f- make us feel like we belong, makes us help a, uh, helps us feel like we're contributing. Uh, how do y'all seek to balance not only the, like, time constraints, but then, like, how all of this then weighs on things like your mental health? Well, one way is to sort of spread out the work amongst, you know, as a, as a cathedral in the bazaar says, you know, many hands make light work. Okay, I'm sure it's not just ESR saying that, but yeah, um, the that's why we we like the co-captain model, um, and then then the hard part was getting people motivated to to commit and and 
fulfill the what they what they the responsibilities that they took on, but just that sort of we let a sort of social pressure of I said I was going to do this and I I it just let people be honest with themselves. Yeah, I ran out of time on that one. I or you know some people just had they they uh, literally told us uh, well some things come up I I can't contribute what I want to take or what I want to contribute to the team here and I'm pretty sure that happened a lot this 2020 you know a lot of people it wasn't even just it was a lot and so a lot of people felt that but so I feel like this is a part that I probably struggle with a lot just because I'm not great with boundaries I'm also kind of a control freak so um you know, giving up, um, delegating has always been a struggle. Um, but I would say, um, as far as like with volunteers, I'm seems to be much better at that than I am with my own personal health. Um, a big thing is creating a, for us, creating community of communication and an environment of communication. So, um, and what I mean by that is like, it needs to be blameless. Like you need to be able to raise your hand and say, you know what, like life came up. I can't do the thing I committed to do um, without there being shame in there, um, without there being somebody feeling guilty because they didn't have the opportunity to do something because they said they would do it and now they just can't. Um, because when people think that they can't raise their hand or that there's going to be shame, they just ghost and they'll just disappear. And then you don't know what happened and said, and they never come back. Um, and so like, it, it needs to be a place, a safe space includes a safe space of being able to say, I can't live up to the responsibility that I once thought I could. Um, and so I think that's a huge mental health thing. Um, when I needed to bow out for my own mental health, my team, there was no blame. It was like, let us know what you need. And then I disappeared for a year. Hi again. Um, and so, you know, um, I think that's really important to be able to raise your hand and say, I just can't. Okay, I'll go next. Um, so what Jill said, like, really resonated with me and my situation. So I'm going to, like, answer this question in, in a slightly different direction where a big part of why I started to volunteer was to maintain my mental health. <laughs> uh, so the volunteer community here at CFA was an optimal space for me to join in on because it allowed me to take a breather from the stress I had as a recent grad that like had a lot of like different hardships and just also being able to explore my interests without being pushed away um, for not like having the expertise. And um yeah, like this optimal space, like allowed me to like, you know, continue to thrive in this space. Um, I've like, it, it's difficult to, um, yeah, like, to feel, you know, a lot of shame for, you know, leaving a project. Um, but this space has allowed me to be like, you know, vulnerable and speak with the peers that I've met saying, hey, like, I'm not doing well this week. So, like, by the way, like, <laughs> this is what's going, this, um, this is going to, this is what's going to happen and setting those expectations. And it creates a really positive environment for me. Yeah. And then, uh, it, you know, I, I think that it, it, it's really, I just love the points. I just need to really, I think, just want to continue to lift up what Jill said because it was such a great explanation of what we all deal with, especially those of us on organizing teams and the importance of being able to bring sort of your whole self, at least to your peers um, within what your role is on the brigade. Uh, because if you can be honest about it and say, hey, you know, I'm like dealing with some tough family stuff or some tough job stuff and I, my bandwidth is just not there for the next couple of weeks, it makes it easier for other folks to step in. And then folks reciprocate that. 
So it's like, I got married and I was out for a month. I was on my honeymoon and everyone else on the leadership team uh, sort of jumped in and they were able to do everything perfectly fine. And so, you know, I had the confidence in them to be able to do that. And they did fantastic, um, which I knew they would. I, I never worried about it for a second while I was gone. So I think that makes a big difference. And then the other thing uh, is just very much um, just in your own personal life, a little time boxing and focus. And so I know that Tuesday night is my code for Boston night. And then we have our leadership meeting uh, once a month and I commit to that. And that's the most that I'm going to commit to. Everything on top of that is bonus. And so when people make asks, sometimes those asks, um, the answer is no. It's not because I don't want to implement their great idea. The answer is I just literally do not have time on top of that. And I'm sorry, like, okay, this is a great idea if you want to do it or if you can recruit other people to help with that. So that's, uh, I think, my little more practical side of that. You know, one of the tricks to this is sort of being upfront about that. Like what Josie said, a lot of that has to, in order to pull that off, you got to um, communicate that as either leading that, doing that by leading by example. So, um, you know, I've, I've, I've missed some of my deadlines and we were, we were, we'd talk about, oh, you know, if you show up late to a meeting, you bring donuts. We thought about these kinds of things, but I'm not sure if it was, if we ever thought that we're not sure which one we came down. I'm not sure which one we came down on as far as like disappointing, but we definitely had to like give people space and we give ourselves space. And so, you know, most of us had jobs or even, or, you know, I had, I had lost my job and I'd spent more time on the brigade than my own job for a while. And that was, um, I, I was transparent about that. So a little bit of leadership transparency goes a long way. And so then it doesn't, you know, doesn't feel like there's like a ball people that, that are holding you accountable and also lead everything at our opaque. That transparency also goes into like setting expectations. I think that's kind of what helped us. I'm not sure. Oh, and in, and I got to credit one of the other brigade members for this. One of the, like, you would start every meeting. That was a great idea. We would start every meeting with a sort of presentation, um, a slideshow about who we are. And that, that was part of the sort of setting level setting, if you will. And I, I, I really liked that. I am not taking credit for all the ideas. I just liked, I really liked my team, man. They were just great ideas all around. In the interest of leaning into this kind of safe space of vulnerability we've, we've created in the conversation, I want to ask you all a bit about imposter syndrome, which I think is a thing that when I said that word, the heart rate of everybody in the attendee list went up a little bit because uh, I think it's a common struggle. I know uh, even myself here, like having the chance to talk in front of you all and like ask questions of this illustrious panel, I uh, in this role feel imposter syndrome a lot. Like why do people give me this guy who just bought a USB mic the time of day to ask them questions. But I would love to hear about y'all's experiences with that, you know, what, what kind of feelings that the, that experience brought up and how you've responded to it. I don't, I don't actually know anybody who doesn't have some form of imposter syndrome. So I'm not sure if it's like imposter syndrome or just like our natural instinct to not think that we're good enough to do stuff. Um, but I think it either makes you want to work harder or it shuts you down. And I'd like to think that most of the time I work harder because of it to make myself actually um, qualified or find ways to become qualified to do things. Um, I think sometimes it gets overwhelming and so it does shut me down. But um, yeah, I think if you're just honest with the fact that like, you know, I am absolutely convinced that any day now you all are going to figure out that I'm full of shit and you're not going to want me to like hang out. <laughs> but until that day comes and you all get smart enough to not do that um, or to do that, 
like, you know, I think it just makes me work harder because I want to become actually um, have the expertise that I feel like you all think I do. Yeah. Imposter syndrome is a huge struggle bus in my life. <laughs> so, and it, yeah, it goes with what Jill has said about like, you either work harder or you shut down. And um, so like there was impo- like imposter syndrome drove me to um, switch my major out of software engineering. Um, and then, yeah, down there, uh, I pivoted to UX research, got an internship at Alaska airlines and that sh- I still felt, um, like it was, I still felt like an imposter because my school didn't have an actual UX like related program. So I ended up, you know, searching like on Google, figuring out, Hey, like what are other like top schools? do and what curriculum that they have so a lot of imposter syndrome there and when I joined um like the brigade organizers playbook extension project I am like recent grad joined as the UX research lead for the project um essentially like having you know volunteers that some of them have PhDs like in research and I'm like, what am I doing right here? Uh, so I always still struggle with imposter syndrome, but lately, like just reminding myself um, of the impact that I had onto others, um, but even reminding myself is also difficult. So kind of learning to just accept like positive comments made about me by like, from my peers, just accept them. Don't be like, but, well, but not in this instance, <laughs> like not in that mindset. So just accept and just not question. And like that has been like making my like viewpoint um, just a lot better. I, I doubt I've ever had imposter syndrome myself, but that that's, I have to credit in part the St. Louis developer community. Um, that was definitely one of the first like game jams I went to. The first thing they did is goes, okay, stand up and say, I am a developer or I am a game developer. And just, just because that they knew that that was an issue. And so I'm going to just, the, the, that community wanted to tackle that as sort of a front end thing. Uh, um, and then I sort of shared that, that I don't want to say charity, but what's the word I want to use with the, the generosity with, uh, with my team. So like, for example, someone said, um, I'm a, I'm new, I'm not a web developer, but you know, I'm, and it, but they had early told, earlier told me that they were an embedded programmer. And I was like, hold on a sec. And is this is harder? I'm like, well, I don't know about harder, but just just back up for a minute. A embedded developer has to use a you know statically typed language like C. That's like like event or evented, which by the way is a lot similar to JavaScript. But also, you know, I, I'm just I just d- outlined things that like these are different challenges, yo. Like don't don't undersell that. You first of all that uh, that experience brings a lot here. That a lot of that experience communicates, right? And then this that's really hard. Most people don't ever encounter encounter uh, also a limited library set, right? So yeah, a, a lot of that. Like I said, I, I was very generous about the the attitude I had toward people's experience, and then I hopefully encourage other people to be more generous with like with how how valuable their experience was to to contribute yeah uh so this whole imposter syndrome thing is a bit um i have a different perspective on it uh because as i mentioned um i wasn't professionally trained in any of this uh software development was very much a hobby for me and so uh, when I first started out, I didn't care if I had imposter syndrome. I wasn't trying to be, you know, like the best JavaScript programmer. I was just like having fun building projects on weekends 
And I, I was, you know, aiming towards a little bit of a different career. Uh, and then it just sort of my hobby turned into my job and I had a lot of fun doing it. But that said, I have, you know, I think a whole lot of folks that I've met and worked with and uh, mentored through my day job. And I really see, I think, the, you know, permeation of imposter syndrome in the software development community specifically. And I don't think it's limited to that, but it seems to be especially pervasive um, as folks think about things. Uh, of course, I went to a tech undergrad school and like the physicists uh, thought they were really sort of at the top of the ladder and the mathematicians thought they were better than the physicists. Like it just goes everywhere. But ultimately, uh, you know, it's uh, something where you need to understand that one, this is not dress rehearsal. Like every day you show up, this is the game. And so you need to uh, try hard and you're going to make mistakes like everyone else. And that is okay. Like making a mistake doesn't mean you're bad at what you do. And I think also just helping other folks understand like where the bar is, what folks, you know, usually do um, helps level set. And so once you understand that other like talented folks do things the way that you do, uh, then you start to feel a lot more comfortable with it, talking with your peers. That's why it's so great going to a meetup because when you know, you're know you in your organization or company and doing something, then you can talk to other folks uh, at other organizations and know uh, how they're doing things and maybe try and get better sometimes or maybe just realize um, that you have been doing it the right way the whole time. I will finally uh, close out and say that uh, a couple, you know, years ago when we last met at the Code for America Summit, they gave us these t-shirts and said, no one is coming, it's up to us. And so the idea is very much um, that, you know, regardless of whether you're, you know, at the like, top of, you know, your expertise in a certain area, it's always going to be sort of a group and a team thing. So you don't have to be the best at everything. And ultimately, you know, it's not like there are other people trying to do what you're doing and beat you. It's not a competition. You're doing this together. And so I think that just appreciate that and your peers. And that's what makes the difference. So much good in that answer. I, I, I want to, I think some of that is also kind of pervasive. Uh, some of the, um, like, no one is the expert or the best or trying to be the best. It's not a competition. A lot of that, I think, shared with the open source community. And I love that about that community. And that's why I gravitate toward that too. Now, uh, they're they're sort of trying to reinculcate that. Like some of it, you know, got some hot shots, kind of kind of polluted that water. But they're they're coming back to it, going, yes, the, this community is for everyone, and and regardless of skill level, you know, like you said, and and we we can't let the self called hot shots sort of dominate the conversation you, you have to give space to everyone so well i i know we're getting to the the end of our time block here um so as like uh or, organizing folks I have a question for y'all do we have enough space for me to like, kind of allow them to do a little little bit of a concluding thought before we close is that okay excellent so a uh I, i'm assuming the yes in chat was for me maybe it wasn't Unless I'm interrupted to tell me that it's not, I'm just going to go for it. Cool. So one of the things that we do on the, the Civic Tech Chat podcast is at the end of every episode, there's a space for the guests to give us an idea of what sort of thoughts they'd like us to leave the conversation with as we then kind of go into the rest of our day. So I'd like each of the panelists to kind of consider that as I vamp here for a little bit and then share with us what concluding thoughts they'd like us to have. And while they're thinking about that, I'm also in the service of always plugging. Going to throw a link in the chat. If you liked this panel, you like the podcast, maybe you want to like chat with people who are in this community. The podcast has a Discord, and there's a, an invite link in the in the Zoom chat. Come come hang out with us. So now that I've done my little advertisement thing, 
What kind of concluding thoughts do y'all have? You know, okay, I can, I think I can go. So, I love that shirt. The, or even, I don't even think it was just a shirt. It'd be, Jen Polka used to say that. Um, it's, no one is coming, it's up to us, right? Uh, I, I liked it because, and, and then I want to think, who was it that, uh, that he added, um, that, oh, right, that this is not, that there is no dress rehearsals every, uh, it reminds me of like Miss Frizzle's get messy, make mistakes. Oops. Take chances, get messy, make mistakes. Yeah, I just did. Um, <laughs> I, I, I want to bring that energy to just about everything because of the sort of humanity in all of us. And at the very least, I want to leave with like community is, I think, what really energizes us here. I mean, even if you're an introvert, um, just still the feeling of being a part of, I think somebody's going to call that meaning 3.0 is like, you know, the online communities bringing us meaning and all that stuff. Like, let that sort of energize you versus, I don't know, profit or it, it, that's probably, I think, I think that's why the open source community works as well as it does. But like just that giving yourself that space to mess up, it's going to have to be a com, um, a combination of all these things. It, we got a lot of work to do on ourselves going forward uh, as a group. We got, there's a lot of work to do in this world. And I think with that sort of generosity for ourselves that it's not all on us and that we, we can make mistakes, but we have to like be honest about those mistakes in order to, to fix it. Yeah. That's, I think how we're going to, to go forward. I'd like to say for my closing thoughts is just to take care of yourself and don't be afraid to make a change. Volunteering can be an escape but volunteering can also be a very tough thing to do. So don't be afraid to make decisions such as taking a pause or leaving a project. Um, Just, you know, volunteering will always be there. Um, (laughs) There will be an opportunity that you'll enjoy better. Please, you know, recharge. We're all like, you know, we're affected by like, these trying these trying times so uh just really realize that everyone a lot of people are like are struggling and you are not alone so i think that uh there's you know we covered so much and i love all the perspective that all the other panelists shared and hopefully you know it gives some good flavor and context to the document, but ultimately, um, you know, I think as Mary had suggested, like put on your own oxygen mask first. This needs to be fun. This is supposed to be fun. It's supposed to do something good for you. And so it needs to fit into your life in whatever way makes sense. And those ways are going to change at different stages of your life. And so sometimes you're going to be able to sort of lean in a bit more. Sometimes you're going to have to pull back as other things happen in your life. And you need to build a community where everyone can do that because folks are going to want to participate if they feel that flexibility. And if they feel like it's they're like forced to be there, that like nothing, no one else is going to step in, that there's going to be no one to catch them, then they're going to feel stuck. It's not going to be fun. You're not going to get much done. And, you know, you're not going to have um, the community and success uh, that you want. So think about the people. Um, They're the most important thing in this whole operation. And make sure you're taking care of yourself. And I think as long as you do that, your brigade will continue to grow and do amazing things. I think I've probably already given you all of my wisdom already, but um, it's a very shallow pool. Um, I, I So I keep thinking about this, like that phrase, no one is coming is up to us. And 
I think on some level I agree um, because you can't expect somebody else to fix everything. But at the same time, there isn't just one of us, right? Like we're not in this alone. So someone is coming and it's, we need to be coming for each other. Um, Cause it's not, it doesn't feel like it's truly no one is coming. Um, so just remember like everything should be fun. And if anything, it's not fun. Ditch it. <laughs> but like do the extra, I, I think it's worth the extra work to make sure that volunteering with our organizations is fun. Um, it is something that people want to do that um, there is a, an environment of caring, of empathy, of, you know, fun and, you know, laughter. Otherwise it, it's even if we come for each other, it's still not going to be enough. And thanks everyone. You know, hearing Jill say that their wisdom is a shallow pool made my brain go, man, mine must be a rain puddle. Uh, but that's, but I do want to thank everybody for, uh, for coming to the panel and, uh, and, uh, listening to us talk for a while. I think we covered some really great topics. Uh, thank you to all the panelists for taking part, sharing your wisdom and being vulnerable. That's uh, not an easy thing to do in public. And I, I very much appreciate it. And of course, uh, thank you to Code for America for making this space available. You can follow us on Twitter using the handle at civic tech chat. Visit us on the web at civictech.chat or subscribe to us for content updates wherever it is you download your podcasts.